Hey everybody, it's Father Edward Looney, the host of How They Love Mary. May is one of my favorite months because we honor and celebrate the Blessed Virgin Mary. We crown her statues in our churches and we resolve more Marian prayers in our own life. We can honor the Blessed Mother in so many different ways, and my new book, How They Love Mary, explains that. But another way, beside the devotion and the prayers that we pray, that we can honor the Blessed Mother is perhaps by wearing socks that depict the image of the Blessed Virgin Mary. I was so excited to see that Sock Religious has a new Our Lady of Fatima sock that they just released this month. And if you are a big devotee of Fatima, I encourage you to buy a pair of those socks and to wear them proudly during the month of May. They have other Marian socks as well, including Our Lady of Guadalupe, Our Lady of La Leche, and other Marian designs. Head over to Sock Religious by clicking the link in the show notes and get your Marian socks and celebrate the month of May in style. Hello, my name is Father Edward Looney, and you are listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary, a podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. We are continuing with our weekly lessons based upon my book, How They Love Mary, and this week we are focusing on Mother Angelica, who is perhaps, after Mother Teresa, the most recognizable nun in all of Catholicism. I suppose maybe we give exception to some of the great saints, like St. Therese of Lisieux, but in our contemporary modern age, most people could identify Mother Teresa and probably have seen Mother Angelica on the television screen on the television screen as they've scanned the channels. Today, I'm speaking with one of the priests of the order that Mother Angelica founded, uh, of the missionaries, the Franciscan missionaries of the Eternal Word, Father Joseph Mary. And so I'm very delighted to have this conversation with you, Father Joseph, because you knew Mother Angelica so well. Yes, I always enjoy talking about her because uh, there was so much uh, surrounding her, and so many uh, details that I think are inspiring, including her Marian devotion. I know that as I read her story and as I've watched some of the different programs that she's had throughout the years, you know, Mother Angelica Live, I grew up watching that because mm-hmm. my grandmother watched EWTN. And so uh, I do remember a lot of those shows focusing on uh, the Blessed Mother and Mother Angelica, even beyond the grave, still today, is still leading people in praying the rosary. In fact, on How They Love Mary mm-hmm. a number of episodes ago, I interviewed a man who was in the hospital. He was one of the first people in New York City to get the COVID. And as he was in the hospital, he was searching through the channels, and he began praying the rosary every day with Mother Angelica. And he's been praying the rosary ever since. So her influence with the Eternal Word Television Network is so uh, amazing and still touching lives. Mm-hmm. this very day. Yeah, and that's probably the devotion, I'm sure it is, the devotion we have on EWTN more than any other. It's been there from the very beginning. You know, when they had financial troubles in the early days, um, they would have these little telethons. That only lasted a couple of years, but part of the telethon was they actually had the nuns who came in and they prayed the rosary, and then they continued to air that 
and then they recorded other rosaries. Of course, Father Mitch has his Holy Land rosary. We have now, since COVID had started, we began a live rosary after the televised Mass. Many people take part in that, and Mother Angelica and the sisters. So, yeah, it's definitely a devotion that's uh, very much at the heart of EWTN's devotional life. I want to take a step back, maybe, and just, we know who Mother Angelica is. We know sometimes I think people like referring to her as the pirate nun because there was one show where she had a patch over her Mm -hmm. eye, and uh, that's always a recognizable image of her. But she obviously enters the religious life at a young age and so forth. But who was Mother Angelica? So could you maybe just paint a brief picture of who she was from her early years to the time that she entered religious life? Certainly, yes. She um, she grew up in a very poor home. Her parents divorced when she was six years old, and and her father never really paid any alimony, and so they really had a difficult time. She said sometimes she and her mother shared a piece of bologna, you know, at night for dinner, and so it was a difficult time uh, for her. And then she started to have some physical problems as a teenager, and she's wondering, does God? No, does he care? And then there was this mystic, or actually her cause is proceeding, Rhoda Weiss. And uh, her cause is now in Rome. And uh, she had these mystical gifts, and she said to Rita Rizzo, which is Mother Angelica's baptismal name, that she should make a novena to St. Therese. And it was on the ninth day of that novena, she, uh, Rita was completely healed, And she said she really knew that God knew her personally and loved her. And it was like the rest of her life really was this driving force that I have to love him in return with all I have. And then she entered religious life, the monastic life in Cleveland, Ohio. They started a new foundation in Canton. And then eventually she got permission to build this monastery here in Irondale, Alabama, And then eventually EWTN came along, and then the Shrine of the Blessed Sacrament, two remarkable works of Mother's legacy. And really, when she was starting uh, the Order of Sisters, and maybe it was even with uh, the Eternal Word Television Network, they were selling fishing lures. She was writing little devotional pamphlets. She was going around Mm -hmm. and giving little talks or leading Bible studies. So it's really this grassroots movement of fundraising uh, in order to realize this great uh, empire, really, of Catholicism now uh, that she has left us as her legacy. Yes, so they raised, I think it was $14,000 selling fishing lures up in Ohio, and the piece of property that we're now on cost $14,000. So she said, well, this is the property. This is where it's supposed to be. And uh, when the ne- she had the inspiration to begin the network, she had done some interviews, and one was at a TV station in Chicago, and it was just this tiny little studio. And she said, Lord, i got to have one of these. It doesn't take much to reach the masses. And uh, it was a thought that just wouldn't leave her. And um, so when she begins the television network, she has $200. She doesn't know anything about television, but she has this sense that God wants her to do it. And so she just goes forward. She said, faith is one foot in the air, one in the ground, and a queasy feeling in your stomach. And unless you're willing to do the ridiculous, God will not do the miraculous. And so she certainly was willing to do that, because many called her a fool for what she started. 
But uh, here it is, the largest religious media network in the world. Now, my understanding is, and maybe I'm wrong and you can correct me, but initially in the early days when she had the religious community that was being formed, they were a bit more active, but then she kind of felt interiorly that they needed to be more contemplative. And so then it becomes this cloistered religious community, uh, you know, very extreme in a sense uh, with the cloister. Mm -hmm. But yet here you have this cloister nun then who is preaching to the masses through Mother Angelica Live, through her other TV shows that she was doing. And so she's intimately involved in a very active work as a cloister nun, which is just a mm-hmm. very interesting thing, I think, to marvel at. <laughs> right. Yes, and uh, so it's like God called her out of the cloister for a while to begin this venture, but then the last, uh, the last years of her life... She was back because she had had this major stroke and she was living her contemplative life. But he called her out to begin this work, and she had gotten the permissions that she needed to to do those things and to begin the network. There was a a cardinal in Rome, Cardinal Odi, who came out and blessed the network as it began and and uh, encouraged them in their efforts. And so it began, and initially. Of course, there weren't that many people working here. I came in 1985 with about 25 people. And the sisters had to do various things from accounting and uh, helping answer live show calls and, and those sorts of things. But Mother realized that their vocation was to be the contemplatives. And so she founded our community, the men's community, in 1987 to be the spiritual active support of the network where the sisters were going then to live more the contemplative dimension, which was their life. And uh, so that's the way it is today. We have the sisters up in Hansville, whom I call the heart, as St. Therese referred to the heart. And we're the voice that proclaims the gospel down here. And the church has two missionaries, or, or two patrons for their missionary activities, St. Therese, and St. Francis Xavier. Well, when she was founding this monastery then, and you mentioned the city name, Hansville. So you have Hansville, you have Irondale. They're about an hour apart from each other, if I'm not mistaken. And so when she builds this monastery, and it was like in a mountainous area, I think, and uh, essentially, didn't she see St. Michael or something like that? She had some sort of mystical revelation, it seemed, that was telling her, this is where you're to build this monastery. Well, now that story of St. Michael is when the shortwave radio, which I didn't even mention, <laughs> so that's about 40 miles from here, and they were looking for a place for the shortwave radio site. So shortwave radio uh, was very popular at one time because you could reach the whole world with shortwave radio, not so much now with more communications we have. But it's still being used in Africa and South America predominantly. So anyway, um, they were looking for a site to build this, and Mother says, it's going to be here. And I said, well, Mother, you don't build it on top of a mountain. And she said, nope, it's going to be here. And they said, why? Because St. Michael's over there. And uh, so they said, well, okay. Well, it turned out that it ended up to be a really ideal place to reach the whole world, you know, most of the world. Uh, via the shortwave radio, so it's worked fine there on top of that hill. And interestingly, they didn't know it at the time, but it's 
part of a county, just the corner of a county named St. Clair County. <laughs> so oh, wow. that was an interesting little confirmation, too. Sure. And I, I brought that up because in Mother Angelica's life, she really had many different mystical experiences. I, I remember reading in Raymond Arorio's biography mm. that she would be walking the monastery hall and she would see the child Jesus running around in the hall, maybe. Mm-hmm. Or, um, and there were other mystical experiences that marked her life. Uh, again, in Arorio's biography, there was this um, mystic that came from Italy. And again, you know, these are private revelations, and I don't know what the church has said about such mystics or whatnot. But mm-hmm. Mother Angelica is willing to have a conversation with them, pray with them. But she was having some pain, maybe back pain or leg pain. And uh, she experienced a complete healing when she prayed the rosary Mm -hmm. uh, with that mystic. So these mystical phenomena really surrounded her entire life. And so you see, really, I think the aura of her holiness and how God has chosen her and how God continued to manifest and reveal himself in many different ways in her life. Are there other stories uh, that that maybe I didn't mention that you would know about uh, in terms of her uh, mystical revelations? Mm -hmm. Yeah, she just had a sense, you know, about how to move forward. And I remember uh, one vice president's meeting, she was, uh, you know, of course, initially we're just in the United States, and then we expanded to Latin America, South America, with our Spanish network. But Mother was saying, um, now, how can we reach the whole world? And uh, the satellite provider said, well, you'll need five satellites. And she said, well, we can't afford that right now, but we could start with two. And so she just had that kind of sense. And then we started with two, and then, you know, the Providence came in such that we went to five very quickly so that we were able to broadcast to the entire world. And that experience you talked about her healing, well, she, for many years, uh, in fact, from the beginning of her life here in Alabama, she had this back injury where she had to have these back braces, a back brace and two leg braces, and then eventually her condition deteriorated where she had these two crutches, one on each arm, too. And whenever you travel with mother on an airplane or a car, you always took those crutches for her and put them in the back seat or in the overhead bin in the airplane. And uh, so this... Uh, Mystic from Italy came and wanted to see Mother, and it was after a live show, and they were praying the rosary, and it was during the fourth mystery of the rosary. She said, well, take off your braces, and she got her to start to walk, and then Mother started to feel this warmth go through her legs, and she was healed. And she said that she never asked for that healing, but she realized why the Lord gave that to her, she said, because... She saw the hope it gave people, you know, that he was a, a sign, a confirmation that God's with us, and be not afraid. We're not orphans. God is still with us. So it wasn't something she asked for, but she saw that it was beneficial to strengthen the faith of people. So she has that healing. That's a mini miracle in her own life. She's able to testify, give witness to it. There are other little mini miracle stories all throughout the history of EWTN. I remember one of these stories where she needed X amount of money or they were going to take something away or cancel something or whatever it was. And 
all of a sudden some man calls her and says, we will donate X number amount of money. And, and so mm -hmm. really saving the network, saving uh, this situation that she found herself in. So she was one who really was in touch with the miraculous and was a recipient of the miraculous, it seems. Yes, and the sisters had a saying in the early days, just in time, just in time. And I think it's St. John Chrysostom, he says that God makes us wait till the end so that we know where the providence is coming from. And uh, there are many stories like that where there wasn't enough money to pay the salaries of the employees, and then a, a FedEx truck drives up with a, a check from overseas. That was just what they needed to pay the employees. And uh, things like that, that showed that it's really God's network. Because I often say, and I say this to the employees at different times, that Mother Angelica had to say yes to this uh, inspiration, this ridiculous idea, but it was God's inspiration to begin this network. But many other people had to say yes, too, including you, our employees, because she couldn't have done it on her own, and it can't continue, you know, just on that alone either. It had to be other people, and I think most of our employees have their own story, how they ended up here, um, we just hired someone recently to help with our hospitality services, and he said, you know, I talk to people here, and they say, and I say, how long have you been here? 15 years, 20 years. He said, that's unheard of. He had come from the hotel industry, and there was always a high turnover, but people are motivated here because they believe in the mission, and they're called here. I really do believe it's God's work, a work of his mercy. And you have a very interesting story yourself of how you came to EWTN. Could you share that? Sure. I uh, have an engineering degree. I grew up on a farm in Iowa and uh, studied engineering and worked in the medical field in Iowa for five years, installing and repairing CAT scanners and x-ray equipment for, for GE. And I got transferred to Dubuque to install their new scanner at Finley Hospital and came across this network I'd never seen, which was on four hours a night, EWTN. And they had lots of technical problems in those days. they just drop off the air some nights. And one night, there was a live show, and Mother said, as you can tell, we need an engineer. So if you're an engineer, you want to come help us, come help us. And I had a sense that God was calling me to serve him some way, and I thought, well, Maybe if I do some volunteer work, I can uh, figure out what he's calling me to do. So I wrote to her, and I said I'd volunteer, and ended up down here in 1985. Did engineering here for two years, and then Mother began our community, and a lot of confirmations from the Lord that that's what I was being called to do, to uh, be a member of the religious community here, and then eventually a priest. And so just to think that a simple invitation from a cloistered nun on her TV show uh, <laughs> brought you there, and now really you've never left, uh, especially as you remain there as a priest. And you're one of the recognizable faces, of course, uh, on EWTN mm -hmm. for their daily masses and other programming that you uh, give consult for and, and such. So it's a, a beautiful story uh, that you share. And 
I think, too, about Mother Angelica, and this is a podcast about Mary. I feature her in this book, How They Love Mary and Her Marian Devotion, and talked a little bit about the rosary, for example, already. But even from the very beginning of her life, she was dedicated at the altar of her church to Our Lady of Sorrows. So that kind of marks mm-hmm. her as special, uh, as a special daughter of the Blessed Mother. And then all throughout her life, then, as a religious sister, Mary plays a part. And even at the very end of her life, she's you know crippled because of the stroke and convalescing and such. But she's able to go to Lourdes. She goes to Akita, Japan, because she wanted to go there. Uh, so she makes these pilgrimages as kind of these last moments of her earthly pilgrimage uh, until she mm-hmm. sees our Lord and sees our Lady. So... What else would you think characterized uh, Mother Angelica's Marian devotion? Yes, well, EWTN became an entity on December 12, 1980, the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe, and Pope John Paul called her the star of the new evangelization. So, And then August 15th, the Feast of the Assumption, um, it launched on the air in 1981. Um, every one of our guest houses here, which is, of course is for hospitality for our guests, are named after Our Lady. We have Madonna House, Immaculata, Lourdes, Fatima, Regina Chaley, Loretto, Magnificat House. So they're dedicated to Our Lady. And um, we also think that all of the sisters have Mary as part of their name, and so do the friars. We inherited that from the sisters because there are saints like St. John-Marie Vianney, St. Louis-Marie de Malfort, St. Maximilian Mary Colby, who had a special consecration to Our Lady. And so the sisters and the friars, we always make Louis de Montfort's consecration. We renew that on March 25th, the Feast of the Annunciation, which is also Mother Angelica's title. And this is an interesting point, too, about Mother's religious name and title. Her mother, her own mother, biological mother, was upset that Rita Rizzo, her daughter, had entered the monastery. And so when it came for the day of her being receiving this new religious name, um, Rita, Rita Rizzo, got permission from her superior for her mother to give her that religious name. And what was the name she chose? Mary Angelica of the Annunciation. Well, of course, that ties right into the moment of the Incarnation and Our Lady becoming the Mother of God. And you think of Gabriel bringing the greatest message ever in history, with the, the Annunciation, and now Mother Angelica has brought about that being proclaimed throughout the world. And that feast, if I'm not, again, mistaken, uh, she had her stroke, what was it, on Christmas Eve, and then she mm-hmm. dies on, on the Feast of the Annunciation. Is that right, or do I have that backwards? She died on the Resurrection. Oh, on, okay. Yes, yeah, so... Which was interesting, and uh, her caretakers, there were a number of nurses and doctors who donated time just to help Mother in her latter years. She was bedridden for eight years. And um, one of them pointed out to me that, you know, Mother's suffering began on Christmas Eve. 
so a mother was dedicated to the child Jesus, right? And then she undergoes, you know, all of this suffering for all of these years, for like 15 years, the last eight years in bed. The last Good Friday of mother's life was very painful. And then on Easter Sunday, she dies. And so you think about her, our Lord's life, right? From his birth, which we celebrate at Christmas, to his glorious resurrection at, at uh, Easter. And that's when mother's suffering began in this way. And then finally, the end of her suffering on the resurrection. Yeah, there's a beautiful meditation there on the fact that, as you mentioned, you know, as you reflect upon the life of Jesus from his infancy all the way to his death, and she now received that promise that she reflected on on that Easter mm -hmm. Sunday. So what was what were her last years like? Um, was she mainly bedridden or was she able to be mm -hmm. out and around? Um, what what were those last years uh, in the cloister after the stroke like for her? So the uh, major stroke, which happened Christmas Eve 2001, um, she continued to be as active as she could. As you mentioned, she traveled to Lourdes, she traveled to Japan. I went with her on the Japan trip. And she did as much as she could. She, they recorded the rosary with her, the St. Michael chaplet. That happened after she had had the stroke. And she would meet with people as much as she could. She'd be brought in a wheelchair into the parlor, and she would meet with different people. And I remember one time there was a little girl and her name was Teresa, and she was in a wheelchair, probably maybe five years old. She had a trach tube. She had some disabilities. But I'll, I'll never forget that little girl's eyes. There was just this beauty in those little eyes, and her parents were there. And they went in to see Mother. And the two of them, uh, Teresa and Mother Angelica, just held hands and just uh, looked at each other, and they were with each other you know, sharing in that, that suffering, but there's also a, a closeness they had with the Lord in their suffering, and that was something Mother always taught about, you know, the value of our sufferings. But then the last years, the last eight years of her life, she was bedridden, required constant care, and the sisters were so good in caring for her. There were some retired nurses and doctor that uh, helped her during that time. But you saw this real flowering in Mother's own soul. There was a real flowering, I think, where people just wanted to be there. They wanted to help her. They wanted to assist her because they, they found themselves being more blessed just being there where God had done uh, and was doing some marvelous things. One last story I'll tell you is a year before Mother died, there's a man by the name of Paul Darrow. You may have heard his story, and he tells the story, so I can tell it. But he uh, he was living a, a pretty wild life out in California and uh, the homosexual lifestyle and all of that. And um, he was in his apartment with his, his um, companion, and they're going through the channels, and here's Mother with that patch you mentioned. And uh, so he makes some kind of a snide remark about you know her being a pirate or whatever. But then Mother said something that just touched his heart. 
So secretly, he would watch. <laughs> he would watch the network. And it led to his return to practicing the faith. And a year before Mother died, he got permission to come to the monastery. And he was kneeling at Mother's bed, holding her hand, and he was just thanking her with tears in his eyes for like an hour, you know, because she had changed the whole direction of his life. Wow. It's those stories that really, I think, testify to the fact that Mother Angelica was a living saint in a sense, and, and how blessed mm -hmm. you and the friars and the religious sisters were all able to surround her and to learn from her and be influenced and impacted by her, uh, in, her in her life and in her ministry. And so what do you think Mother Angelica's most significant contribution, I guess, of course, it's probably the network, it's probably the sisters. What do you think, you know, is her most valuable contribution to American Catholicism? Well, she always, she, she founded it as a spiritual growth network. That was her intention, to speak to the man in the pew, she said. So she realized that a lot of, Catholics, they didn't really know the scriptures, they didn't really know the prayer life, and it was to tell them that, that we're all called to be saints. And so it's not just for the consecrated ones, it's not just for the saints we read about in history, but it's for you here now and your details and the struggles of your life and the sufferings of your life, that you're called to be a saint. And I think many have grasped onto that. They said, you know what? I can. I can grow in my prayer life. I can do God's will in the nitty-gritty of my daily life. And I think it's encouraged many people to do that. And Bishop Barron, when Mother died, he talked about how she gave courage to so many apostolates that were founded to say, yes, we can do this. We can trust in God's providence. She was like the one who took that step forward that gave others courage to do the same. And that's why we see this wonderful flourishing of apostles, like your podcast and others, that uh, can step out in faith and make a difference. Mother Angelica could be a saint one day. There could be a cause for her canonization. So maybe two questions. The first is, have people already received graces through her intercession? I'm sure that people go to the shrine in Hansville, maybe visit her tomb, maybe they ask her intercession. Have there been grace reports already? And also then, if she was to be a saint, let's say, what would you think she should be the patron saint of? Well, the second one I would say of providence, trusting in divine providence because it took a lot and still takes a lot of providence for this network to operate. And, um, and so we trust that. And Mother said she didn't want to have, you know, some huge bankroll that she could rely on, but that she'd always depend upon God, that he would inspire people to keep this network going as, as long as he wanted it to go. And it would keep us more faithful and more honest if we were always relying on God and, and striving to be faithful to Him. We do have a file, the friars do, EWTN has a, a file as well, of people who have reported favors re received through Mother's Intercession, and some of them are quite remarkable, actually. So, um, 
you can't really open the cause till five years has happened. Well, she's been gone now six years. So um, Michael Warsaw has met with our bishop a couple of times and the sisters to talk about how to move the cause forward. And so steps are moving that direction. We are collecting and keeping all of these testimonials from people. They, they arrive by a letter and phone call. And uh, please God, uh, she and Rhoda Weiss, who had such an impact on her life, will be canonized one day, maybe together. That would be a beautiful uh, gift from God for the church, especially here in the United States. And also uh, raising mm-hmm. Mother Angelica to the altars would be really internationally as well, uh, given her influence yes. throughout the world. Throughout her ministry with EWTN and as a cloistered religious sister, Mother Angelica really did share the messages of Our Lady from Our Lady of Fatima to other reported Marian apparitions throughout the years. I know there's one, uh, Garam Bendel, for example, I'm aware you know, of the controversy around that apparition, but uh, back in the day, she had uh, this one uh, man named Jimmy on the show uh, on Mother Angelica Live and uh, was able to spread a little bit of that message and other Marian apparitions. Uh, she's always been able to share that through her shows, and uh, she did so much to promote Marian devotion. That's why I knew, because of her influence in my own life, by watching EWTN and such, that I wanted to include her in How They Love Mary. And today, Father Joseph, you've really been able to help us to really get to know Mother Angelica a bit more and to give us some behind the scenes of her own life and her own work at EWTN. So I thank you so much uh, for all that you offered us today. You're welcome. Good to be with you. And I always enjoy talking about Mother because you never talk about mother without bringing a smile to people's faces, I think, because she has such a, a sense of humor, but a profound faith, too. And that's a beautiful combination. And I should say, too, that EWTN and uh, Hansville, Alabama are excellent uh, places to go on a pilgrimage here in the United States. Not only can we go across the pond to other Marian shrines and apparition sites, but we can go to other places, especially here in the United States, to visit the Shrine of the Most Blessed Sacrament. And also then to see EWTN, to maybe participate at Daily Mass or be a guest at one of the Mm -hmm. live shows. So it's always a joy for me to go down to EWTN as a guest. I'm hoping maybe this year to to make it down there once again. I want to visit Mother Angelica's grave and uh, pray there at the the Mm -hmm. shrine. And so uh, I encourage others maybe to consider making a pilgrimage as well. Yes, and we actually have, as I think you probably know, a priest retreat house, which is free, because um, it's the Shrine of the Blessed Sacrament. Well, where does the Blessed Sacrament come from? From a priest's hands. And so they uh, built this retreat house for priests so that they can just have a quiet place to just pray, get away from the responsibilities of their busy lives. And and uh, it's a beautiful 400-acre site where there's plenty of places to walk around. And uh, so I'd encourage any priests, too, um, who are looking for a, a wonderful place for retreat and just quiet, that that's an option. They can find information on the uh, Shrine of the Blessed Sacrament website. 
Well, thank you so much again, Father Joseph. And I encourage everybody to always tune in to EWTN programming. It's a great source of uh, Catholic teaching and information and also a place to enrich our devotional life. And I know so many people too, uh, in my own parishes, even as a pastor, that might tune in for daily Mass or to watch Mass on television if they're unable to make it there, if they're homebound. And in fact, I was just Mm -hmm. speaking to a parishioner who uh, I did a show with Jeanette Bankovic just a few weeks ago, and uh, this person just died, and uh, they told me that their mother took great comfort that in one of the last weeks of her life, she saw you on TV and was able to oh, enjoy that yeah. show, you know? So so it's interesting, mm-hmm. even my little work with EWTN mm-hmm. is touching my own people uh, that I serve as a pastor. Yeah, I say that, it, you know, there are ripples, we leave ripples, right, that continue out beyond ourselves and the good work that we do. And I think EWTN's caused a lot of good ripples and inspired others like yourself to do other things and uh, take new initiatives that can help spread the gospel and benefit more souls. And um, we'll get to see a little bit of that uh, fruit in heaven, all of the fruit um, of our works here on earth. Well, thank you, Father Joseph, and thank you for all the good work you do for the network and uh, to continue to share the life of Mother Angelica with so many. Thank you. Good to be with you. Thanks for listening to today's show. I hope that the conversation with our guest was one that was enriching for you as much as it was for me. I am so honored that you listen to How They Love Mary, and if you enjoy this podcast, I'd encourage you to rate it and review it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen, so that others might begin to see this podcast show up as a recommended podcast for them. I look forward, over the next 28 weeks, of discussing the different figures from my new book, How They Love Mary, available from Sophia Institute Press. If you haven't gotten a copy yet, head on over to Sophia Institute and acquire your copy today or wherever you get Catholic books. Thanks so much for listening today. May God bless you today and Mary pray for you.